Hi, this is Brendan Davis from Bedrock Games and the Bedrock Blog, and I'm here with Adam and Joel for the sixth episode of Horror Express. And tonight we're talking about the 1981 movie Scanners by David Cronenberg. Um, you know, I don't know if we need to give the plot to people. This is probably widely known, but it's basically about telepaths who can, you know, read thoughts and actually, it's actually more like they can connect with other people's nervous systems, right? Like it's not strictly about the brain. But it's the movie that's famous for people's head expl- heads exploding, even though I think only one person's head actually explodes in the film. Um, and it's essentially about uh, two scanners who are the telepaths in this movie, uh, where one is basically trying to track down and find the other. And a mystery sort of unfolds as he does so. And there's kind of an early 80s, I don't know what, what you would call it, but almost kind of like a corporate espionage angle to it as well um and so yeah so joel i know you were the one that really were pushing it was pushing this one if i remember so is there anything about the plot you want to bring up before we get into a general discussion or well i would like to point out that like i i forgot how noir this movie was like because when you think of not just scanners but david cronenberg's filmography in general it like the real visceral gunky icky aspects of it is usually what jumps out to the forefront of your mind you know the head exploding in this movie is a very iconic scene but there's lots of nasty stuff that happens in this movie and then you go off to stuff like the fly or things like that and that's almost all body horror but the actual plot of this like you said is a mystery it's like a corporate espionage mystery and there there's elements of like uh missing identity and there's a lot more like moral grayness and and And, and mystery and stuff like that, which I I'd forgotten about. Uh, so it's it's a surprisingly like cerebral and engaging watch. In addition to you know getting to see people's heads explode in a fountain the, of gore. So there's also a lot of gun violence in this movie too. There's sort of like a '70s grit to it, like that sort of like Scorsese yeah. type. Uh, just you know you know c- people driving by in cars and shooting each other. Uh, you know, sort of like the finale of like Mean Streets or something. There's that kind of thing going on throughout the movie, which yeah, you know, a, like taxi driver kind of thing. Also, well, I love the childish delight in your voice, and you're like, "Yeah, people getting shot." Well, to me, it's sort of like it's somewhere in between like Mean Streets and the Terminator. Do you know what I mean? Like it's that level of of violence and being hunted down by somebody type of a thing, and so yeah. and and sort of gun pornish. Do you know what I mean? Like there's like a lot of there's a lot of dwelling on. And and I don't know anything about guns. Gun porn is the right term for well, it. I mean, well, what uh, I mean is there was there, one there, gun porn scene. There, there was right, a lot of fixation on that. Yeah, you know which scene I'm talking about. There was a lot of fixation mm-hmm. on the gun and how it functioned and like. Do you yeah, know what I mean? I mean, yeah. I, I okay. I agree with what you're saying. You're, and, you're using it in a more literal, correct sense. Than the term is usually used. So the, I actually okay. agree. With, yeah. Usually it's used as like gun fetishization in a sense that they're trying to make the guns. But this is in a different gun porn. It's it's more like that, and like how some of the guns just looked a particular way. Like in the scene yeah. where they were yeah. they were taking Revic in the car for that first time, and and the guy who shoots himself in the head had that. It looked like a Luger or something. I don't know guns very well, but whatever it was, it just had a distinct look that really fit the character. We didn't know much about that guy except for <laughs> like his hair and his facial expression. But he had he had a lot of personality that was oozing from him, and the yeah. guns seemed to be part of it. So, just yeah. th- that's what I meant by gun porn. Like they're just a 
the camera was sort of fixated on the gun and the aesthetics of the individual guns were important. It was sort of like, ooh, this is a cool-looking gun that we want to get into this movie, and it kind of makes a statement somehow, that sort of a thing. Um, yeah, true. Yeah. I would say more generally this movie does that with almost everything. I'm thinking about the computer scenes as well here. Yeah. Uh, and uh, whatever they take out the... What, what is the drug they use called? Every time that's taken out, th there's a real focus the mechanics of how they take the vial yeah. and they insert the needle in and they pull the plunger back like <laughs> there's something about it where like and Cronenberg likes that he, he focuses on strange details and we'll probably see that next week in video well, drum yeah too, but... well the scene where <laughs> they go into the computer right like that was really like you know like all the textures on the on the on like the motherboard or whatever that was I, I will say this for a lot of early 80s movies that feature computers do not age well and yeah. this aged pretty fine, I thought. Like it, yeah, you know. It did. It's it's interesting too because like uh, I just had to jump to another movie too, like Existence, which is a, a '90s Cronenberg movie. It is one of the best movies about video games, even though it's by a guy who never played video yeah. games. It's like he just he just has a good mental grasp on technology that I think a lot of a lot of people have not had over the years. Yeah, and Existence is a very good movie. I haven't seen it in ages though, so I'm always wondering yeah. how well it'll look after I've it's been about twenty years I think since well, I've seen it. I think I'd say it, it ages well because one of the things that Cronenberg was doing with that movie is he wanted to make a computer movie that had no CGI or mm. computer effects in it. So it's like there's nothing That's true. There's nothing that yeah. could age about it badly. So And the that, and the console was... stuff was all fleshy like, right? Yeah. It was yeah. yeah. So. It, it was a very unique movie and I remember it being very mentally jarring just sort of the you know it, it is. Yeah. yeah. Um yeah. I don't I don't want to wander too far afield, but I do want to, to draw the comparison because we're talking about Cronenberg more broadly there. Sure. That like th there's a comparison in this movie too with the computer to a central nervous system, and then when we yeah. kind of go inside the computer, that's how we feel. You know, there's something organic and like alive yeah. about it. Well, yeah, I I remember uh, like to to jump even further afield, like Gibson. <laughs> Gibson, I remember an interview with him where he was talking about when he was writing Neuromancer, like the reason he came up with the concept of cyberspace was he was talking about how when he'd watch people using computers, he always had this feeling that they were looking at, they felt like they were going somewhere, like there was this space behind the computer. And I mean, that, you know, the, the kind of internal shots in this, I think, have a similar effect. Yeah. Well, we should probably... Uh, this would be a good time then to talk about the premise itself because that is the mm. premise that idea of yeah. you know they, they take like this idea of ESP and kind of like the it seems like it's taken from this concept of the military maybe trying to create telepaths for war and this is how he you know imagines that in the real world and he creates a world and, and obviously it's not really the military in this case it's more uh um uh well, we're going to give spoilers, but more like the, the, you know, Paul Ruth invents this drug and it has this side effect in the 50s. Yeah. And, and all of the. I liked, I liked the corporate. Sorry, just to, I like the corporate ambivalence in this movie. Like yeah. the, when they have the scene with the board early in the movie, it's like they're not even like it's not like they have some grand plan. It's like, oh, this thing has happened. Do we want to destroy them? Do we yeah. want to exploit them? And there's just this whole there's this whole combination it's just it is very gray as joel said earlier well, it's like in what their purposes are it's just they want to try and 
you know, if they can make money off it, great. But yeah. it's not a, it's not like it's some huge evil scheme in particular. But uh, and uh, and it's just interesting world building because like he, that the genesis of it is this drug that's given to pregnant women and the kids that are born have this ability, and, yeah. And so it's, it, it seems like it's kind of contained to that area. Do you know what I mean? Because you know what I mean. Like all the people that were, you know, it's not. I don't think I don't think this is like a global phenomenon yet in the in the setting, unless I missed a yeah, crucial I, piece um, of dialogue. No, no, you're right. And actually, because I believe that was all shot in what is it, Toronto or Ontario? It's a it's a it's a Canadian city, and it's not the first time he shot one there. I think he shot Shivers there too. Yeah, Toronto and, is where he worked out of usually. So. Okay. I, and like I actually think that the the building they keep cutting to, like the main corporate building, might be the same one from Shivers. It looks really similar. <laughs> like that architecture is pretty pretty specific. But I like to point out that not only do I think you're right, I think that the character of the environment, like the city itself, hmm. is actually like there's there's something about it, like both in in this film and more generally in kind of noirish sort of cinema, where the the city is a character. And in yeah. this one, there's this sort of impersonal kind of like claustrophobic element about this city that makes it feel isolated even though i mean i'm, I'm sure it's a fine place to actually live but the way it's mm -hmm. shot and the especially the, the windowless interiors we keep getting presented with really makes you feel kind of like institutionalized and imprisoned and it it really works for the movie yeah. it really the architectural choices of locations are very deliberate there's a definite aesthetic he's trying to set through the uh choices well, of the buildings i agree well, especially for the um, what was it, the Consec building? Yeah, um, the Consec building. And, yeah, uh, you know, and 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 I, I like how they sort of, you know, there's this feud going on almost where like the, you know, the the boardroom meeting that you talk about is because the famous scene where the guy gets his head exploded is a demonstration where they're trying to go public mm. or at least let you know elite people know about this project in some way, and the guy is going to put on a demonstration of of the scanning ability but somebody who is also a scanner has worked their way into that demonstration mm. and volunteers and he's the guy that makes the person's head explode and that guy becomes the main villain of the movie for us and he's yeah, got a very I, oh go ahead go ahead i was gonna say i like I, you know we brought up earlier there is just kind of the one scene with the head exploding there but it is it is a point where that character is trying to destroy you know this corporation's attempt to monetize he's, he's like trying to destroy their program by doing it so it is the exploding head thing is him making a demonstration it's not like there, there's a good reason why yeah. he does it that time as opposed to any other time people are killed throughout the movie yeah and he's also and he's doing it too i think because he's killing anybody who is um uh, a scanner that is part of yeah the concept project but he's also got somebody inside concept so there's this whole <laughs> there's just this really interesting thing going on and it's like a it's it it, it it makes the hero's quest in the movie just feel again it's kind of got like a terminator angle to it where it's just like he feels hounded and hunted and uh mm. you know and there's a i don't know i i, I like i like the uh sense of danger that that creates throughout the movie as the character is sort of solving the mystery of what's going on. Um, yeah, he, he is on the run from, like, the first scene. Um, I'm sorry, I'm having some issues with my computer here. Oh, yeah. we can still hear you. Or can we? Uh, what are you doing? <laughs> Are you with us, Joe? 
Joel, I think you're back. I think you're back. Yeah, I'm back. Sorry about that. Yeah, as soon as I started talking, my computer decided just to, to have a little aneurysm. Just I turned into gravy for a moment. Um, well, I, was I like this was doing that thing where my voice like just holds on something? That's really. Annoying. I felt like time was slowing down. I don't know exactly what was happening, but that was my. That I was, was being attacked by scanners via phone line. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so what were you trying to say? Well, I, even though there's not like, because in the Terminator, there's a constant sense of being on the move yeah. and trying like being one step ahead of the Terminator. In this one, it doesn't feel exactly like that. But the way that the the threat and there's a good reason for that, by the way, that we find out at the end. But go on. Oh, oh yes, there is. Yeah. Uh, but the the way the threat kind of just insinuates itself into scenes like mm. that you wouldn't expect it to be in, and then just violently starts destroying people. It, it's actually it's pretty shocking and effective, and it does consistently put you on edge while you're watching the movie. Um, so it's it kind of accomplishes the same thing with a different route, which I thought was fascinating. One of the things that I found interesting about the movie too, before I want to get into individual characters because I think that's really how you probably the best way to talk about this film. But mm-hmm. I want to talk about the scanners in general and like how they're portrayed and how the movie conveys what it is they're doing because you know I, I feel like this is I I know I've seen scanner parodies I can't remember anyone in particular but I feel like it's it's a sort of thing where you could imagine like Andy Samberg doing a scanners parody or so you know what I mean it's that that mm-hmm. where where it's all sort of the intensity of the look and like the movements of the head and like the like the physical acting that goes and and the way that every actor kind of does it differently like like um uh Michael Ironsides when he's scanning he almost has this animalistic thing going on like there's these yeah. growls and like his lips are sneering and it's just like it's just got a particular look and when um uh when Vale does it it's like a it's almost like a magician do you know what I mean he's got like a very stagey sort of like his eyes are bulging out of his head and <laughs> it's it's all very dramatic though do you know what I mean that's it's always dramatic and and physically kind of like the actor has to really sell it just with their movements and stuff so oh yeah um, there's no nobody drew on like film frames in this movie or anything like that yeah. it's all practical effects and just like there's a lot of sound use in this movie yeah which is really yeah the sound so, sound is a big part of it but like i that had to be hard to act and they they do sell it like you really get the feeling whenever someone's like someone goes into a seizure really early in this movie and it's really effective because it looks like they're actually like seizing um, having actually seen that in real life, unfortunately, like it's it's a, a unsettling moment, and you feel like sympathy for the character. That's really good physical yeah. acting, and, and and you didn't feel sympathy for her a moment ago when she was being needlessly cruel to the, the protagonist. So it's interesting that it sort of again, that's I think that's one of the reasons why you maybe were characterizing it as morally gray. Is you, mm-hmm. you you know um, yeah bad things happen to bad people but it's still stomach turning to watch it happen because yeah. the the camera doesn't shy away from showing you how awful these things are that happen to them yeah yeah, uh, yeah. Um, well I mean with the with the security people in the building for example I mean they're just security guys that work in a yeah. office <laughs> you know, it's, it's like yeah they're in the position of uh, being the bad guys but it's not like you know they're not like the the main villain or anything. But, well, uh, even the main villain, like we see a film reel of him and how much he struggled with his condition. Yeah, like, he like drilled a hole in the front of his head to let the demons out or whatever. So like, yeah, there's a, a dimension of sympathy for these characters, and they're all some various shades of gray. It's wonderful. So, so why don't we start with 
the villain then. And and we should say we're going to do spoilers. Like from this point on, you are going to hear things about the plot that yeah. come out at the very and, end that are meant to be a surprise. Um, yes, and they are good surprises. Uh, I would personally strongly recommend you do not spoil this movie for yourself if you haven't seen it. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Michael Ironside plays Daryl Revick, who's the, the scanner who is trying to destroy... Like basically, it seems like his goal is to take over the world ultimately. But oh, yeah. initially, it's more like he's getting revenge against the 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 people who made him or were trying to control him. And then we find out that he's actually much more significant than that. He's the son of the, Dr. Paul Ruth, who was the guy who's heading up all of this research and the guy who invented, uh, what was it, ephemeral? Was that the name yeah, of the drug? Ephemeral. Yeah, Um And so... You know, is, is it, and and again, it's it's a very early Michael Ironside performance. So it's, uh, you know, he is uh, fantastic. By the way, he's yeah, probably the best yes. person in the movie in terms of acting. I would say. Um, I mean, he the... is. Like I said, we were talking about the expressions. You know, people are using and stuff. And like, he is just like possibly the best special effect in a movie that has very notable special effects. Just yeah. is his the way he uh, he makes it feel like he really is psychically doing something whenever he's up to it yeah yeah i and that like he's a really big range in the movie because again in, going back to that film reel mm -hmm. like he seems like a person that's dealing with horrific daily like torment and pain yeah. and he doesn't really seem less evil at all i know that seems weird but again like he's Beyond being tormented, he deals with that torment in a very unhealthy and terrible way. Cool. So that's like that kind of comes through in his personality. Um, where well, he drills a hole in his perfect. forehead, and mm -hmm. uh, we know, which is interesting because when we first see him, he's got this mark on his forehead. And you're like, what? You know, it's subtle mm -hmm. enough that it's like, is that even an effect for the movie, or is that just something that's on the actor's face? And they mm -hmm. and they actually, I noticed a lot of people in this movie have marks on their faces that are so so. It sort of blends in. <laughs> as a result but uh but it turns out he tried to drill a hole in his head to let the voices out basically mm -hmm. um and i think he said to make room for daryl which is kind of a theme in the movie where the the scanners are so overwhelmed by the sounds of people's voices because they hear all their thoughts that it's almost like 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 in, in an extreme case like with cameron vale he has almost no sense of self at the start because there's just yeah his head is just full of people basically um and so it turns out that you know this guy is the son of uh you know of the of the of the big doctor and he's plotting this really horrific like takeover where the scanners will be the ones ruling the world and he has this vision of like a scanner empire basically and uh and yeah so you know aside from the acting any any thoughts on the character oh, man it's so weird to have a, a genuinely sympathetic villain that you still kind of hate just because of how monstrous he is. Very, very difficult to walk that line, and I think Ironside nails it. So it's, it's a wonderful performance. Well, they do a good job of having him eliminate and brutally dispatch people who are pretty harmless-seeming. Do you know what I mean? Like the, yeah. like a good example yeah. would be the Benjamin Pierce character, who's actually gone become this great artist, so you kind of want him to live because you see how, in this setting, he's an important person. He's making this fabulous art that is, you know, important, and he's also kind of like a recovered, you know, uh, criminally insane person, right? So who is recovered because of his art, uh, but when we beat him, he's actually very meek and very gentle mannered. And so you just wouldn't want him to get, 
you know, slaughtered the way that he gets slaughtered in the movie. And the same, yeah, yeah they oh, they almost tear him apart with bullets. Like there's a yeah. few scenes like that whenever there's gun violence, and like I think Godfather Three had a couple of scenes like that. Um, but like, yeah, when he's shot, it's not like oh they shot him and he fell down like a western. It's like they take chunks out of his arm yeah. and legs, and he's like howling in pain and staggering around and bleeding. And it's, he seems pathetic. He doesn't seem equipped to even really deal with it. He's not, you know. So yeah, and I think I think interesting that the scene with Benjamin Pierce too brings up the fact that you know Cameron is acting as an agent for uh, Doctor Ruth through this movie. So it's just like it's. You know, even though he is the protagonist, really, he's his job that he's given in this is is he's not really working for the right side for most of the movie, even though he's unaware of it. So, you know, when you have the scene with Benjamin Pierce, like, yeah, you're full of it. I don't want to deal with you, whatever. You know, it's like, yeah, he's totally right to try and uh, drive this guy out. Well, and I'll and, oh, go ahead. That was an interesting kind of dual uh, journey for the hero. Because on the one hand, he's on this, he's got a mission from this organization that's basically puppeting him around. But he also has like a journey of personal growth and discovery where he's got to yeah. solve these really vital mysteries and learn who he is and forge emotional connections with people. And it's it's a really good little watch for that. Well, we should we should talk about the Cameron Vale character then because we we met him as a, he first starts out as a homeless person and is quickly tranquilized after that scene with the woman that he causes a seizure and and then he that's when he meets uh um uh, dr paul ruth who later is revealed to be his father and uh and he's revealed to be the brother of uh of daryl revick um and and so i guess i want to talk about his acting first because the acting Mm. is something that you know everybody kind of comments on with this character yeah um so I want your feelings about the acting and any thoughts around that. I, I mean, I didn't have a problem with this guy. This isn't the only Cronenberg movie this dude is in. I he think was in Cronenberg, Dead Ringers, uh, right? He was in Dead Ringers. Um, he was in something else by Cronenberg, too. I don't remember what it was, though. But Cronenberg keeps trying to make this guy a lead. And I, I feel like he had the potential for it. He's got good presence. He's got like kind of like a Humphrey Bogart look. It's not quite the presence of Humphrey Bogart, but like the look he's got really down, which helps with the kind of noir aspect. Um, I, I really like him. I, I think he's got like star potential, and it's weird his career never really went anywhere. Well, a lot of people don't like the acting that he does. In really? This I, think, yeah. I think the thing is that He's got a really hard role in this because he is supposed to essentially be a blank person. Yeah, He's, that's and what it's, so it's like, you know, that's that's a really hard thing to convey as an actor is, yeah, I've got to be blank. It's like, you know, it's like like Michael Ironside gives a great performances, but it's like being this brutal, animalistic person who's got a lot of anger, and it's it's like that. Those are easy things yeah. to convey. Not that not to say he doesn't do an especially good job at it. But it's, I mean, the, you know, what, 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 you know, Stephen Lack, the uh, actor, has to convey in this is a tough thing. And I mean, I think, too, a lot of people don't pick up on that. There are parts where people refer to the fact that, yeah, how he's, he, he just didn't have a sense of self at all. Yeah. The uh, Kim Oberst at one point talked about how he's barely human and that kind of thing. So it's like, it's a deliberate thing. And I think a lot of people just don't pick up on what that character is supposed to be. Yeah, that's the, because... It's 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 interesting because in the scenes where he's not talking, the acting is very, it's discernibly very good. 
Do you know what I mean? Like the mm-hmm. scenes where he's portraying scanning people and stuff. There's something about the physical performance of that that is really compelling. Um, yeah. And when he talks, it's like it. it, it I mean, it, you know, it's it's. And again, I don't know because I, I I have not seen him in enough movies to really say how good of an actor he is. But in Scanners, it comes off as bad acting initially. But when you start thinking about the character and like Adam was saying, you know, he's kind of like like we were a little unclear on what his background is, but it sounds like he was literally didn't have a childhood potentially. Do you know what I mean? Like we don't know exactly what happened to him. But mm-hmm. basically, he was what his brother said is you were put on ice and they took you out when you were needed. And you ha- and, and we know that he has no childhood memories. We know that he hasn't really had any space in his head to develop as an individual because of all the voices that he's always hearing. And so it's it makes sense that that's how he would talk. Do you know what I mean? That he would have this really odd way of speaking that's almost like soulless. Um, but because he's saying things where it sounds like there's supposed to be emotion in there, it, it, it you know, it it, it 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 could be bad acting or it could be good acting depending on how you. It, how is you it read racist it. to say I just he just seemed Canadian to me? Like does that make me a bad racist, person? No. Okay, because uh, I know some Canadians and I'm like that's just that's just that's like how can Canadians talk? I what it's kind of like I don't know. It's nowhere near like the level of Keanu Reeves, you know, and like that's that's really stiff it's acting the, in a role. No, you know what it is? Is there's a monotone to it, and although there's also something in the rhythm of when he says things, there are like pauses in between words that feel odd. Um, well, that's where you want to say it, a really bad, but, but he's just straining it. But the thing is, I thought about it. I was like, well, what if you had somebody performing like more in a more lively way? It wouldn't have had the same effect. Do you know what I yeah. mean? So that would have felt you know, right. whether whether it was good acting or not, I think the casting was on because you know even if like Cronenberg deliberately hired somebody who couldn't deliver a good line of dialogue, it still served that purpose. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, it still functioned it, right for the role. Yeah, yeah. So so I mean, but but it, but it's striking because it sound it sounds like really typical 80s bad acting do you know what i mean it's got that like when you see like a lot of those straight to video movies that we used to watch and they have the you know the somebody saying something that's supposed to be filled with emotion it just comes out dead Flat. It's a, well, it's, yeah 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 it's like yeah. that but yeah. but again to back what back to what adam said the guy is supposed to be like a new person so it it just kind of makes sense uh in this movie that he would talk that way and it would have that vibe to it and, it's, um, and of course, you've also got these really, like I said, you know, you've got, you know, Revic is a really over the top character and uh, <laughs> Patrick McGowan is the doctor. It's like he's someone who's this yeah. really meaty actor. So you've got yeah. these people doing the around him doing these yeah. really kind of juicy parts. And but so I, I think he comes off even flatter compared to that. That's true. But I also noticed that there's almost like different. It's It's like they're. I don't know enough about acting, but I felt like we were getting a different varieties of acting styles too in this movie. Where like yeah. the the Doctor Paul guy had a really weird physical man, like he would do this thing with his arms like that. Do you know what I mean? Uh-huh. And he would get he, he was like a really weird guy at times, and it worked for the so. character. He was like collapsed in a chair and sunk into himself in so <laughs> yeah. many scenes. You know what I'm yeah, saying? yeah. He had he had like a real weird just way of contorting his body and, and all these things and uh yeah that's and so, 
Yeah, Patrick oh, go McGowan is good at playing de- very different kinds of roles too. Mm-hmm. It was like I thought he, I thought those were really interesting choices with his physicality through the whole thing. I noticed that too. And so, and it was kind of similar to the Benjamin Pierce character too, which kind of made me wonder if Benjamin Pierce was maybe another one of his sons because their mannerisms hmm. were were kind of similar. Huh. Um, huh. No, we don't really because it might be like we don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, I mean, why would Revic even? I mean, Revic did go to kill the guy, so I don't think so. I mean, because he made the exception not to kill his brother. But maybe, um, maybe, but but we know that Benjamin Pierce had tried to kill his family, so maybe mm-hmm. there was bad blood there. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, and again, I'm I'm speculating, inventing stuff whole cloth out of you know an arm very, gesture. That's but, a very Davis move. but yeah. <laughs> I will I will admit that's a compelling one. Oh, the thing is, like you do you do sometimes go off these whole cloth things, but I've never encountered one of those that I didn't find at least somewhat compelling. Okay, um, well, that's that's so. good at least. That's well, the yeah, arms were just striking. Is, was his family his family, or was he like put in another home or something? We know that the we know that that Cameron wasn't really raised in a traditional and by you know he wasn't raised by his father so i guess the question yeah. who was the family he tried to kill well we have no idea how cameron was raised right like we don't we like like he could have literally been on ice for all we know, that, Do you exactly. know what I mean? like like it's it's so it's so vague again unless there's like some piece of dialogue that i just you know didn't notice but like i i feel like uh yeah, that's it's very really unclear. Line. It's like, was he was he in a cryo chamber, or was that was he being metaphorical? <laughs> yeah, because yeah, it's a science fiction there. movie. It's not inconceivable that in a world where scanners exist, that a cryo chamber would exist, or you know, or yeah, who knows? Seventies, early eighties, Cronenberg. Anything is fair game yeah. as far as the interpretation goes. I, I like to imagine that he was part, like he put went into part A of the teleportation chamber from the fly, and they just switched it off before he got to part B and they're like, oh, we'll get to it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we just don't know. I mean, Paul Ruth doesn't seem like much of a family man, but you do notice at the beginning of the movie he seems a little tender towards Cameron Vale. Like, he puts his hand on his on his ankle or something. Like, it's it, it looks like a fatherly gesture, potentially. Do you know what I mean? So... I, I don't know, but how do you explain the scene where he's just walking people in and watching him convulse while he's... He's going through. I mean, I mean like, he's he's not. Really I'm not us. saying he's going to win Father of the Year. I'm just saying he. Oh no, really? You know, he 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 might. He, he probably still had paternal feelings, and and there might have been, like I don't like maybe like another possibility I thought of is maybe they did have a quasi normal childhood because uh, Daryl seemed to recognize Cameron and seemed to know him. Do you know what I mean? Like he seemed to have so, like almost like a rapport with him, and yeah. Cameron is the one who doesn't have any sense of who he is. So maybe he got mind wiped or something. Do you know what I mean? Maybe he had like maybe they did have a normal childhood in the in the Ruth house, and and then you know well, maybe after maybe after uh you know after Daryl freaked out and tried to murder everyone, it's like okay, I can't have this other scanner around the house anymore, and that kind of yeah. led to whatever happened to him after that, whether he was literally on ice or not. But uh, but he could have had maybe like what they meant was he had he was in the household and then. Up and he left it under a situation like you might have described around mm-hmm. the age when you would not really have any memories of your childhood anymore. Do you know what yeah. I mean? like, yeah, yeah. Oh, he's the younger brother, so yeah, yeah it's entirely possible. But uh, but but it's interesting. But but I I like I like the reveal of the relationship between those three characters at the end of the movie. I think that it, you know, it works really well. Um, 
So this scene is Carrie Byronside's acting too, because he actually seems sympathetic towards Cameron. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, I mean, he turns pretty quickly, but he does have some genuine concern there at the beginning. Yeah, one, yeah. One, once things aren't going his way, it really escalates very, very, very fast. Yeah, you're not <laughs> listening to me. All right. I mean, he is the older brother, right? Like, yeah, exactly. You know? I'm an older exactly. brother. That's exactly and and dad is dead at this point, so you know. Yeah. <laughs> but what was that? I, well, I'm an older brother, and like that was a very believable scene for me. I was like, yeah, that's pretty much what I would do. Yeah, listen to me. Your head's going right in the toilet, Jane. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's just it's just like imagine imagine that relationship, but the older brother has scanner abilities, and you know. Um, yeah. but, uh, but yeah, so what did you guys think of that final showdown at the end between them? Huh. It's one that I thought would make you speculate, Brendan. That's what I thought of. I was thinking about that in the drive yeah, yeah. to work today. I was thinking about, it, I was like, that's a really good scene. I'm pretty sure I know what we we're supposed to get out of it, but I'm willing to bet that Brendan has some alternate ideas. Okay. Well, um, what I got out of that scene is at the end that, um, Cameron had, put his mind into uh into revik's mind and that he was, yeah i, I think that's know. what we're meant to get out of yeah. that because there's that kind of moment where he's holding the fire in his hands and uh revik is screaming in terror or whatever's happening to him yeah and then and like, well and also Cam- cameron's eyes pop and then when he's in when we see revik his eyes look like paul's eyes so mm. You know, yeah, and he's wearing the coat. He's like crouching in the corner, and he's got the voice yeah. even. So, well, I think another element too is before we even see him in the corner, before we even see he has the coat on top of him, she's, she's like Cameron. It's like she senses him with her powers. Like she senses Cameron's mm. mind. So it's not yeah. even just it's not even just oh his voice is coming out even before she sees him. So. Yeah, yeah. Because I didn't speculate. I mean, I was much more focused on this Benjamin Pierce, uh, parentage. Uh, speculation than than uh, anything with this well, scene. I, you didn't cook up a scenario for this. That, that's too no. bad. I, I won't say I'm disappointed, but the scenario that I cooked up was: Does it actually matter if he completely devours his brother's mind if they meld so perfectly that ultimately yeah. evens them both out? Does well, that matter? Well, here's what I will say: I think the reason why he was able to do that was because of the time he spent with Kim Obrist's group, where he learned how to join with other people's minds um and so so i think it's totally possible that he hasn't destroyed his brother that they just both are living in balance in the same mind now and that that it's that is kind of an early 80s trope do you know what i mean like think of like the dark oh, crystal yeah. of like bringing balance between mm. these two things so i could yeah. i could see that being another reading of that scene where it's just that he's brought balance to the the, you know, to his deranged brother's, you know, uh, mental state. Do you know what I mean? So, it's like uh, the like, happiest ending this movie could possibly have. And I, I thought it was a really optimistic ending. Yeah. I mean, that was because initially you think, oh my god, the protagonist was melted and died on the ground, and um, and I mean, this was a horrific way to die. Like, there's like tracks of blood vessels bulging, and oh, the effects were amazing for this mm-hmm. period. Like that that. They didn't. Obviously, there's no CGI because of when it was made, and I don't think a CGI movie could come close to how this made me feel physically when I was watching it. Like I felt like like oh my god, I I I feel I feel what they're feeling right now. Do you know what I mean? That's that's how this and what they were feeling did not look good. It looked really really bad. So, 
Yeah, the the veins I think got to me because they bulge out and then they like squirt these tiny little Kurosawa esque fountains of blood out of them. Ugh, makes your well, skin crawl. It, it's like everybody has looked down at themselves and seen veins bulging out, but you mm. don't. Well, hopefully you've never had the experience of feeling those veins bulging out and you know what I mean. Like that's what it was like. It's like you can feel the pressure in their body from this buildup of what I guess is blood pressure. Cause they mentioned that you, they can control blood pressure and stuff. So I assumed it was related to their ability to kind of affect a person's cardiovascular system and their blood vessels. Um, yeah. Well, it's interesting too, as far as this scene goes too, because I mean, uh, you know, basically the goal that, that Revic has, he says, I'm going to pull you into me. And it's almost like, like Cameron, as fighting it, but then he kind of just, yeah, I'm going to go in there and boom, he kind, he kind of, it's kind of a, a move where he kind of uses it to his advantage where he does yeah. go in there and, and takes control. That would be one possible interpretation as rather than, rather than fighting him and then both completely annihilating each other, yeah. he kind of goes with the move. Yeah. No, and that seems more Cameron Vale style too. He's kind of a gentler, mm -hmm. you, know, you know, person than his brother. Yeah. Um, and also, I, I it's it's worth mentioning this scene is the scene that's sort of on the cover. Like this is the the image you yeah. would recognize oh, yeah. from the cover. Uh, you know, I think uh, my my copy actually has Revic. Uh, yeah, that's the that's there. the that's the movie poster yeah. right there. <laughs> um, it's kind of a spoiler, isn't it? Huh? It, it is, is, but it isn't because you don't really you can't recognize it. Like if you see that because. I remember that from like all the movie posters as a kid and, and you don't, you don't draw a connection between that and Daryl Revick with the first time you see him, I think. And it's also, yeah. you don't know exactly what's happening. Like is, is, you know, I mean, we know that like that's kind of Revick's potentially his defeat, depending on how you interpret the ending. But I mean, it could just be him doing, being monstrous and doing horrible yeah. things to people too. So you, it's, it's a hard, it's, it's, it's kind of an ambivalent image out of context. Uh, it also is important to point out that he's wearing a very similar outfit to the uh, guy whose head explodes in the trailer as well as in the movie. Like the most and, famous image this, so. and they kind of look a little bit similar, too, mm -hmm. which I, I, I think that might be a little bit deliberate. Um, what was the name of the guy who was working with Revic? Um, oh, uh, let's see if I can call it up here. Um... I've totally forgotten his name. I, I, I even yeah, looking at the list. He's an important sure. character. Oh, right? Keller. Yeah, Keller. That was his name. Yeah. Keller was his name. Yeah. Okay. Um. He. Yeah. So I guess that's Lawrence Dane who played him. Um. Uh. He, you know. Yeah. He's an important character. He's kind of the evil, the evil corporate guy. The evil. In a way, know, he's the most villainous character, really, because I mean, uh, Revic. At least he has these motivations that are crazy and murderous. But there's at root, you know, he is. You know, he, you know, it's like basically what it's like Keller doesn't seem to have any motivations behind behind the other than like totally selfish ones that he's trying yeah. to take advantage of this situation. And, uh, and yeah, there's, there's no real character. element of pathos with him. I, I yeah. her. He just seems like a slime ball. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he mur he, he he murders Paul Ruth. He uh, he tries Paul to murder. Yeah. Uh, what was that? No, my, my computer's still stuttering, sorry. Oh, okay. Oh, we need I, it. We should probably discuss that scene before my computer actually melts. Wh which scene do you want to discuss? The the computer melting scene. Okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's the scene where um, where Vale connects with the, the computer system through the phone, 
and and when uh, when Keller realizes what he's doing, he has them initiate the self destruct, hoping to cause harm to Vale, um, which he seems to fail at. I don't think Vale really gets hurt by it that much, right? Um, yeah, there's something about the severing of his psychic connection with the computer, though, that makes everything explode in an almost comedic moment. Uh, because yeah. when when it's done like deleting everything and burning the hard drive down one of the computer scientists just like see no fireworks and then immediately his yeah. monitor explodes <laughs> violently propelling him through plate glass behind him yeah yeah and the, and the phone melts the the and phone the phone, and the, and the phone, the phone line goes. melts one of yeah. the mini cars that explodes in this movie explodes yeah yeah there's 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 excessive car <laughs> explosions movie like the, the car in the first scene with revic that crashes into the wall and just immediately bursts into flames. I know. And um, so that is like real. It, it just took me back to American Psycho for a moment. Actually. Yeah. 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 It's a similar type of thing. It's a similar type of thing. Um, but, you know, it's like American Psycho is doing it purely as kind of this heightened, almost comical effect. I think, whereas in this movie, it's ambivalent. It's like, was it just because that's what happened to cars when they crashed in seventies and eighties movies? Or was that, like you know, well, it was the era of the Ford Pinto, so maybe you know, uh, <laughs> you know, car explosions were on people's minds. Um, That's that is that was is, that the, well, that was around the time, right? I, I seem to remember hearing those stories. As I, a think, kid I think I think that was late seventies, so this is okay. this, this is close yeah. enough to the same era. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, that I mean, granted, like that. that's when you hit him in the back; it's supposed to explode. But yeah. Still, oh yeah. yeah. Um, uh, but that also might be like a. It might be deliberate in the sense that it, it kind of is sort of tipping its hat at an idea of, like, this broader corporate negligence and uh, danger <laughs> thing. Because, like, a corporation that didn't give even one whiff about the safety of, you know, the children that were ingesting its formula that created yeah. an inadvertent course, psychic army. But I mean, that's... Bring it to references. Like, of course, it's a reference to the thalidomide, too, if you guys mm -hmm. are familiar with that story. But, yeah, uh, the, the famous slipper the, babies. Infamous, yeah, thalidomide yeah. babies. Yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. familiar. Uh, but yeah, I think it might just be like a broader, like that, It maybe I'm overthinking it. Because <laughs> it might just be that, oh, it's the early 80s, of course a well, car explodes. Yeah. <laughs> but here's the thing, we see other car accidents and that doesn't happen. And all of the other violence is excessively violent, but fairly grounded in reality. Like, it's not, mm -hmm. like, you know what I mean? Like, maybe the yeah. shotgun blast that hit uh, Pierce, Pierce was a little bit broader than it should have been. Do you know what I mean? But, like, <laughs> but it was all pretty realistic. But that that car exploding really leaps out in, in your mind. For I, You know, maybe it was just an awkward moment in the film where a decision was made and it doesn't quite feel like it matches the tone of the rest Maybe of the movie. Maybe they just but... put too much explosives in the car by accident. It was just a yeah. much bigger effect. I just felt like, whoa, <laughs> yeah. I was, got a little carried away there. Yeah. I don't know, <laughs> but... The I mean, I've... I, <laughs> I would believe that, but the, no, like, the reaction like of the actors in the scene is to that intense of, like, an explosion and fire, because they're like, we've got to get them out of there. They're burning to death. Also, yeah, he knows did... it. Yeah. He did I, later I make serious in my suggestion. Though. He did later make crash too, so maybe he just really likes cars. Yeah. You know, you know, I, you know. I was uh, thinking the same thing yeah. actually. Yeah. Um, but uh, and but yeah. metropolitan where there's an indestructible car. So, <laughs> mm -hmm. so well, this car certainly was not indestructible. <laughs> this um, is the prototype it failed. I, I do love how the guys run out immediately and try to save them, and then like the guy, the guy is trying to rein them in because he knows that Revic is a danger, and the situation just spirals out of control very quickly. 
I do um, so, love how horrifically that spirals out of control because <laughs> it goes from he's totally in their power and they've got it all sewed up to everyone's dead but Revic and he's laughing at them. That's kind yeah, of how I'm everything eating them summarizing, you know, just to like all these people died and blah, blah, blah. When they go back to the board meeting scene, <laughs> Th- things do just kind of unfold inevitably in this movie like that. Like there's that scene, there's the Benjamin Pierce scene. And then the other group that we haven't really talked about, the um, the the Obris group. The, the people who are basically like hippies living in an apartment building and and communing with each other and you know I mean they're very those people that they that they cast in that role they all looked the part right like they all looked like yeah. the kind of people that you would see at a group like that and so it totally fit um, and uh, but even that scene it just kind of like you know it just unfolds like they don't they, you know in, in another movie I feel like that group would have at least had somebody guarding the door do you know what I mean? But yeah. here, it's just kind of, nope, they just, the people walk in and just start no, no, dispatching. They, they had someone guarding the door that immediately fails his job oh, and yeah. gets dispatched. You're right. Was he, I thought, right. where I thought was he? on the stairs or something who gets pushed mm-hmm. down the stairs. Yeah. But he kind of walked in the, the room as they were coming in, right? It wasn't like he was no, standing they, guard. They meet no. him at the bottom of the stairs, and he's like, oh. oh, no, you're here to kill me. And they kill him, and then <laughs> yeah, walk up the okay. stairs. And the hippie circle is so immersed in their scanning each other that I guess they just don't notice it. Because those dudes walk into the room and, like, they have, like, a full minute where they're, like, positioning themselves and getting ready to kill and no one is paying attention to them. The hippies just suck at, at self-defense. I'm sorry. Well, yeah. I'm sorry, and, it, and, and then that leads to them trying to escape in the car and then another, you know, more car violence and a crash. <laughs> um, I like but that it, crash, too. Through the record store, right? The record store. Yeah, yeah. A, the thing it smashes into the front of the record store and then just skids in and like flips on its side. Does not explode in a show yeah. of incredible restraint by Cronenberg. <laughs> yeah, so. no, good good crashes are a lost start in movies these days. It's mm-hmm. uh, it's a shame. And you also get that great line from Kim Obrist about, um, you know, like she's freaking out after that happens, and it's because she like knows what it's like to die now, which I oh, yeah. it's yeah. just like a freaky like. Oh my God, that's got to be a horrifying experience to 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 be in somebody else's head when they die, and now you know what they just like to know the feeling of dying is. Yeah, um, yeah. that's something I, that no living human really knows. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so, it's which, it's well delivered. Oh God, it's a it's a creepy line. So yeah. <laughs> so I think we should talk about the body horror and like the psychological mm. horror of the movie then, because the movie is about. I mean, it's it's body horror in a number of ways, depending on how you how far you want to stretch the definition of body horror. I mean, just from the fact that it has people's heads exploding and it has um, the you know all the horrible stuff happening to people's bodies because their their hearts are being made to go faster or whatever it is. But but also people getting into your mind and make and being able to hijack your body and have it do what they want rather than what you want. I would classify that under body horror too. Um, you know, as well as a kind of psychological horror. Um, yeah, that that one in this movie really does push the boundaries of both of them because is that psychological horror or body horror? Well, I mean, it's it's un it's unambiguous whenever heads are exploding that's body horror, whenever veins are bulging and spraying blood. But like the more insidious element of that, where your brain is being reprogrammed to be someone else's brain, that is a part of your body. It it. It permeates your selfhood in a very disturbing way. I don't think the movie draws that big of a distinction between body and mind. I think, um, sorry. That's a good I, point. That's a good point. That, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, 
Yeah, it, it, your mind is your body in in, uh, in Cronenberg, I think, without a and, doubt. And especially when they when when he says that you know a computer has a central nervous system and you do, and it's all about connecting the central nervous system. He doesn't say it's about connecting the mind to the mind. It's not. Yeah, that, it's not that kind of telepathy soul or spirit. It, yeah, it's very physical. It's 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 more with like you know, like nerve endings are involved. It seems and brains are just another type of symbol. You know what I mean? Like another type of substance like that in your body so um, yeah there's no there's no soul body you know split in in cronenberg <laughs> <It's>, uh, <laughs> and so yeah I, I well going back to her you know i mean the thing is you know when she she knows what she knows like what it's like to die too i mean once again there's a movie from around the same period brainstorm where there's people are recording people's memories and Someone sees, you know, the, uh, 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 you know, in part of the movie, someone is, is, is you know, wa gets is playing a recording of someone dying, and, and of course in that movie it's like, oh, you kind of get a glimpse that, oh, you know, they're they're going to heaven and blah blah blah, and it's like, no, that's not that's not what it's like when you observe when you're in someone's head when they die, in the <laughs> It's a very different thing. Well, to me too, the implication was maybe that she realized there was no afterlife. Yeah, that's what yeah. I'm saying. So okay, that's just, what you're saying. Yeah, okay. That was exactly. Yeah, so that was going. And brainstorm, they go the opposite direction, where it's like this recording. She, they have to stop the recording before she gets sucked in and dies. But it's like, but still, the thing is, oh, the worst thing that would have happened is she would have gotten pulled away with the angel who was pulling the person away to heaven. Mm. You know. Yeah, so. it, it goes. Uh, it goes the route of confirming the afterlife instead of specifically and clearly dismissing it, which is much yeah. bleaker, of course. Yeah, um, and it uh, it adds an edge to death, you know, because it's not like anyone went to heaven in this movie. No, they just died; they're gone now. Yeah. Well, it's just the way that she delivered that line made me think that she had just, that, that, that it seemed to be a dark revelation about death that she had. Yeah, so. she exactly. wasn't happy um, about knowing that, that like the reality of death. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, so uh, I guess we're getting kind of close towards the end here. What um. What are your feelings about the movie? How do you, you know, you know, I know we're not, we're not doing ratings and recommendations, <laughs> but we do have kind of a final thought moment. Um, also, I, 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 one thought I had watching this too was, uh, you know, I know Stranger Things is still kind of popular. This is definitely a movie that anybody watching Stranger Things probably should check out, I would say. Um, yeah. It's, it's a, uh, you know, it, it definitely has, definitely there are things in Stranger Things that, or drawn from scanners um but uh but yeah so see so, you know what are your what are your final thoughts yeah you want to go first i mean me to go first you can go okay um this is one of those kind of progenitor movies i i don't know that the movie itself is super amazing or anything i really enjoyed it and i think that it's it's worth going into fresh uh even though it's it's a little slow paced and uh I could use a little more body horror. I'm used to later Cronenberg where he had a bigger budget and there was more viscera and gore. I'm, I'm looking at you with a fly and especially Videodrome, which I'm salivating for. Uh, <laughs> but the body horror that is here is very effective. Um, there's a lot of surprising, um, unusual things like the gunpoint we were talking about. I didn't really, I didn't remember that going into this movie. And I watched it like years ago and I, I watched the scene where um, the the gunman who's being controlled by Revic is going down to the basement to, to execute um, the the folks and he's got his gun and he unpacks it and there's a lot of like 
that's an interesting thing to shoot first of all a lot of movies don't have that kind of patience anymore and also like it added tension to the scene it was wonderful uh because that's it's kind of bookended with the scene uh, the execution scene that got them to that point which is where they were in the hippie circle and the guys came in very leisurely style and executed a bunch of of the defenseless hippies which usually i would uh, cheer hippies getting killed but in this case it was pretty gut-wrenching um what i mean when i say it's a progenitor movie is that you can see the dna of this in everything from stranger things to akira to like uh, any any time there's any kind of psychic and there's anything like visceral about it you can almost like directly draw a parallel to a scene that happened in this movie so even if you just watched it to get that he's a grandfather of all like visceral psychic movies it's still worth watching just for that purpose so yeah uh, I found it enjoyable, and man, Ironside really does steal the show. Uh, another another thing where if you only watched it for his performance, you wouldn't walk away disappointed. So maybe not the deepest thoughts, but it's a, it's a fun little romp. Yeah, I first of all, I'll agree with you that yeah, it's not like this is like Cronenberg's greatest movie or anything. It is kind of it's kind of it's 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 it is a good movie. I think it's a good, it's a good Cronenberg movie even, but it isn't it isn't on the scale of like Videodrome or something where he's just completely on fire. But uh I I will I I'll go the other direction though because I I do think it's it is a progen it was a very influential movie, but I think it's got its own influences like things that came before it because I mean it, it's an 80s movie and the 70s psychic thing. I mean, you've got like the Stephen King novels like Carrie. Yeah. And and Stephen King himself was heavily influenced by Theodore Sturgeon, like More Than Human, which I think was like 1953. That That is a book dealing with misfit people with psychic, weird psychic powers that is... I, I've never I've never been able to find whether Cronenberg read Theodore Sturgeon because he's also got a number of short stories. He definitely would have been aware of Carrie, though. Carrie, he definitely. Well, everyone was aware of Carrie. Yeah, that was huge. But Theodore Sturgeon, like that's who Stephen King is riffing off of when he's doing his psychic stories of people having exploding bloody noses and all kinds of stuff going on. Uh, you know, Firestarter, of course, which I think is actually '80s, but uh, that's another another one in that category and uh but yeah i think anyone that's interested in this kind of thing should check out more than human by sturgeon and you may you may want to check out alfred bester too like uh the demolished man which uh isn't as visceral in its psychic powers but it's a really interesting examination of a world where where telepaths exist and uh so i, I don't know, i'm just gonna i'm gonna end with those recommendations for people to check out and so i mean i i think this is like a classic film um, I probably have more positive feelings towards it than both of you because oh no, I, I have very a... positive feelings to it. I just don't think it's the height of Cronenberg, okay. which is a very a very I... high height. I think Scanners is a good movie. Well, I I would put it like in top five Cronenberg for me. That's where I think okay. I might differ from you guys. But I, I do realize the difference. Like it's different from The Fly. It's different from Videodrome. Do you know what I mean? It's different from you know Existence and these other movies. But um, I I feel like uh. Part of that is just because, like I said, it was sort of all around as a kid growing up in the 80s. And Adam's a little bit older than me. Joel's a little bit younger than me. And this, I was kind of right in the middle of Scanners, sort of, you know, when we went to the, when we went to the horror science fiction section of the video store, Scanners was perpetually there. Do you know what I mean? And it was, yeah. it's one of those things. So 
Um, so I'm admitting my bias. But I feel like I like the noirish elements. I like the corporate espionage elements. I like all of those early 80s elements that kind of, you know, a lot of times, again, I've noticed with movies from this era when I watch them, either those elements stick out like a sore thumb and they don't age well, or they just kind of fit in very nicely and I'm reminded of things. Right down to like the mall sequence at the beginning when they go into the mall and mm-hmm. that just the I just remember malls looking that way. They don't look like that anymore, but I remember them looking that way. And uh and I remember people being able to smoke in malls and all those kinds of things. So yeah. you know you know, those little details they you know, again I I, I you know I, I will have to admit to a certain degree of nostalgia with a movie like this. Um but I, I liked, you know, the way that they wove computers into it. And I and I and I just liked the the world building of it. I thought it was really clever. It wasn't like grandiose world building. Do you know I mean, they're not like creating a whole universe of these scanners, but they have a very functional contained world that they create with this his, history involving the doctor. And and it kind of really comes together when they go to that um that primary care doctor who's prescribing ephemeral to people and there's a baby in a in a uh in a mother's womb the woman is pregnant that scans one of the characters you know it's a really you know it, it's an odd creepy scene but it also kind of completes the world building of the of the movie for me so i like it for that reason and also it's just a you know it's 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 unnerving the idea that people can get in your head like that is very it's very it's a very effective you know telepathy horror science fiction film and um and the special effects even though they are limited we don't have a lot of special effects they're they're, i would say they're pretty flawless for this era there's a lot of really bad special effects from this time and this stuff looks better than things that have come out 20 years later so i feel like it really and and probably that was due to restraint i feel like they didn't Mm -hmm. overdo it and that's why that exploding head works. That's why the veins in, you know, they, they found the few things they could do well huh. and they just did it. And they didn't, they didn't elaborate on it and, 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 and end up with all this crappy, you know, additional material that, you know, just was, was more flawed. So, so I, I, re- I really like the film and, uh, and yeah, so, but, but, but I think, I think we're all kind of in agreement in terms of general, uh, you know, this is a good Cronenberg movie worth watching. Um, and we, we probably all kind of agreed Videodrome is a better film, I think. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I, actually, Adam didn't say that. So maybe, well, you said no, he was on I, fire. I will say it. I'll go um, on the record. Okay. I mean, maybe, maybe watching it again for next week, I'll suddenly go, you know what? Yeah, yeah. I, I've decided yeah. this movie's crap, but yeah. I don't think that's going to yeah. happen. I, I got two words for you, James Woods. <laughs> go ahead and try. Um, so... <laughs> So yeah, so I, I, I think uh, I, I think that's where we'll end it. And uh, do we know? So Videodrome is our next movie, right? We're going to be doing yeah. Videodrome next. All right, oh, so yeah. we'll be we'll be back with Videodrome, more Cronenberg, and then obviously we'll move on to something else. Hopefully, something equally exciting. And until then, we will talk to you later. <laughs>